Looking to bootstrap your company? Today's the episode for you. Are you a leader trying to get more from your business and life? Me too. So join me as I document the conversations, stories, and advice to help you achieve what matters in your life. Welcome to Unbound with me, Chris Dubois. Andre Balolenu is a growth guy. He's worked as the first-time marketing hire for two different companies, leading them to six, seven-figure ARR. He's honed his skills in marketing through getting his hands dirty with content, SEO, social media, and more. Today, he helps early-stage startups go from zero to one, creating a foundation they can scale from by turning chaos into order. And today, he's going to share how. Andre, welcome to Unbound. Hi, Chris. Thank you for the invite. I'm happy to be here. Let's, uh, let's get this going. Yeah, and let's get it going with your uh, your origin story. Okay, uh, as you mentioned, two times for marketing fire. You know, uh, learned everything from scratch. Basically, I learned that by by doing like everything that you mentioned. Then more going into paid media up to ABM recently. Uh, I've hit my head like multiple times by learning, but I feel like that's the way that you have to do it. You know. Uh, mm-hmm. all these experiences like from early on, from social media, from content, from like creating WordPress websites and stuff like that, they all led me like into growth. I'm a growth guy now, you know, uh, after I had those experiences, like I started experimenting more and more, you know, like in content, in social media, in paid, in paid, you know, and stuff like that. Eventually I ran a growth department and then at my last job, I was leading like the company efforts. We were going up marketing to the enterprise space. And I was leading the ABF efforts there. Like with the background in growth, I also did, I also had like a job as a product manager. So I did a technical side. Like that really helped me like understand and link together, you know, different bits and pieces when it comes to ABF. Now I'm just working with my consulting clients, couple of clients on the side, deciding, you know, what I'm going to do next, enjoying August with my family, you know, and uh, that's it. Yeah. Awesome. So let's get into some of the benefits of bootstrapping. A lot of the companies you work with are taking that path to avoid getting the additional funding. Uh, yeah. What are some of the benefits of, of approaching it that way? Yeah. Uh, I'm a part of bootstrapping. Like I had a company, a small company that I bootstrapped that I mainly work like yeah, with early stage startups that are going this route. Uh, you know how they say, you know, entrepreneurs are willing to work 80 hours a week so that they don't work 40 hours a week. So there's that as a big benefit, but given the environment that we're currently in, I think it, one of the main benefits of bootstrapping is that you can grow slow and you can grow smart. You know, the key yeah. words that you hear now everyone with grow smart and like you don't have at some points to have to let go of your 20%, 40% of the company, of the employees that you hired, of the team that you built, like, you know, so hard through the, through the years. So you can take your time in knowing mm-hmm. actually building, bonding, you know, like creating a high-performance team. Uh, on the acquisition side, okay. for example, you have more freedom when you're smaller, when you're bootstrapped. Especially mm-hmm. now we have like the founder-led growth, where the founder is the face of the company, you know. So clients get to see him before the sale, but they also get to interact with him after the sale, you know. Okay, the mm-hmm. client, you know, if I buy a tool, I'm not like pass to somebody else and then I don't get to see like the face of the company anymore because like, you know, I put the money and that's it. 
and then another benefit on the other side was the sale is made. It's like managing customers because the smaller you are, like the closer you are to your customers, you know, you can build relationships with them. You can get feedback. Based on their feedback, you can improve the product. You can improve messaging. You can improve positioning, you know. You know what features you can build and deliver and so on. And I think that mm-hmm. last but not least, like the biggest benefit is like the freedom you get. I guess that we're all here, you know, to have that financial freedom that gives us the possibility to work as we want. And like, if you want to add early right. on a Friday, you're free to do that. Cheers. I need to start ending earlier on Fridays. <laughs> um, but yeah, one of the, and then like that huge benefit of just not having someone breathing down your neck, right? Telling you like, hey, you got to be growing faster, faster, do this, where you potentially make mistakes. And so like everything you just said was about actually growing smarter, being able to talk to your clients, take your time, make sure you're doing it right. Um, so I guess along that same vein, uh, what should early stage startups be considering like in regards to their initial growth? I feel there are like two things that you need to balance as an early stage startup. One is sales and the other one is feedback because you need to sell the product in order to get revenue, you know, in the company to get cash flow that will help you grow. And at the same time, you must be in constant touch with the customers. You need to learn the problem that you're solving for them, learn about the user experience, see what's working in the product for them and what's not. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, you design something, you design an experience, but most of the times, like, people take a totally different route, you know. You put that pop-up in front Mm -hmm. of them saying, hey, this is your onboarding. Step one, they just close it and you want to do stuff. So, yeah. And uh, then the more you learn based on their feedback, like, the more you can adjust your sales pitch the next time. So, you know, you get because you can use their words, which this is a trick that I learned. Like you can do position and messaging on your own, but like when you get real feedback from real customers, it's better to use their words, you know, because yeah. they're the, they are having the pain point. So it's better to use, you know, use exactly how they word it. And then like, you can go and you can like get a better win rate when you're bringing new customers, you know, new sales and, uh, and so on. But there's one thing I would mention here that I feel that, it's very important. It's like, don't fall into the trap of doing everything a customer asks for. Because as Ford mm-hmm. said, you know, if I ask people what they wanted, they would have said a faster course, you know? So don't just go because there's the risk where you're just going to follow this and they are right. without a logic or without, you know, your efforts will go in too many places at once and you're not going to be able like, to keep that vision, you know, that idea that you started mm-hmm. with. Right. Yeah. That scope creep starts to, to show up and you're doing something you never thought you would, you would do with the company. Um, so I guess what with an early stage chart, right? If, if I'm not getting funding, uh, it means I have to be very particular about where I'm applying these funds. Is there like a specific sequence you kind of look at as you're working with early stage startups to ensure they're spending their money on the right things in the right sequence? Uh, I think again is like balancing sales, but also like balancing the internal stuff, and because they're also the internal pain points, especially if we're talking about like a startup that is just a founder. You know, he has to do sales, he has to do everything. So if you're at some point, if you get to the stage where you're flooded with emails and like you cannot 
answer all the emails. It can be from leads. It can be from customers. But if you have that point, at some point, you're going to have to do something because you answering emails is far less valuable than you talking to leads and so on. You know, like you can go, you can pay for a tool uh, and get this fixed so that you get more free time on your hands and then you can do, uh, you can go and see something else, you know? And also about the sequence, from what I've seen, it's not something specific. So it's not like, hey, you do this, this, and this, you know? Uh, I've seen a lot of people like focusing on, let's move my website from WordPress to Wix because that will fix my conversion rate and it will magically solve everything. It's not going to work, you know? The same if you go and buy a CRM and pay, I don't know, 100 bucks per month as an early stage startup saying, hey, if I have everything here, this will work better. Probably it won't, you know, there are the hard problems that are like harder to accept that you have them and they are like more complex because you need to find a way to solve them and you don't know where to start. Like if you spend the time and you really go deep on that, then you'll be able, you know, you'll win your time back and you'll be able like to do what really matters. Yeah. So let's go deeper on that. What, I guess, what challenges do you see early stage startups facing? A lot. <laughs> uh, I see them like making a lot of mistakes because they're chasing everything and nothing at the same time. Like uh, I've seen people, let's say they launch a project and they say, I'm building a product that's going to solve this problem for SMBs, you know? But like if you go on the website, then they don't mention like SMBs or startups or something like that. And I'm like, if you solve the problem for SMBs, why don't you mention that, you know? And they're like, yeah, but right. what if a bigger customer comes on the website? I don't want him to get discouraged and not sign up. Like, that's partially true, but at the same time, you're losing the SMBs because if you would say that this is for small companies, you know, small companies will see the message, you know, they'll be like, oh, this is for us not for anybody, you know, or everybody. And you're going to get more of the SMBs, you know? So I think to sum it up, well, I would say that the main challenge is maybe focusing on what's really important and what can really drive revenue, growth, feedback, so on. Yeah, that shiny object syndrome. Um, I've, I mean, I've, I think everyone's victim of this. I started creating like a formula so that I could actually weigh opportunities against each other. So that if I really felt like, oh, this looks like something to chase, I could compare it to something else in a way that's more quantifiable. So I can be like, okay, this is worth it. Or like, oh, that was stupid. I almost made a really bad decision. But even uh, there, like the, so, it's subjective because like the, if you yeah. use, let's say ICE or some other framework, it's like, it's still you evaluating, you know? Mm -hmm. So like, yeah, I can right. grade this higher. Like if somebody from the outside would come and look at what you did, they're going to be like, what is this, you know? Right. Yeah. And it, it, it's hard to, to create objective um, kind of metrics to look at the, uh, an opportunity. Uh, it's like, I, I'm guessing at an ROI, right? Like, I don't know what this is going to produce. And like some of them though, like I also threw in like just my personal satisfaction. Would this be more fun for me to do? Because that I got to keep that in there. Uh, I'm not just going to make myself miserable because it means I win somewhere uh, else. Uh, so. That that is also but, uh, like the yeah. 
cost of opportunity because like everything is like is a trade-off in the end. So like if you do something, you don't do something mm-hmm. else. So like I've seen, for example, right. a situation where I joined an early stage startup and they were like, we want to do this onboarding email and we really think that this will like at least double our onboarding rate and so on. Yeah. And I would ask like, how many people do you have that are signing up, you know? And they're like, well, we have around 50 per month, but some of those are our tests. And some, I was like, okay, but if you do this and you focus this and you change from five people getting from boarding to seven or to eight, you're not going to move the needle that much, right. you know, but you're going to waste like a lot of time and effort. Yeah. But that's like the, the easy job. You know, they knew how to do the email. It was easy for them. They've done it before, so it was easy for them. But they were estimating like, hey, we're right. going to have this huge impact, you know, with onboarding and with... Okay. Mm-hmm. And, it, and it's interesting because it's not even like at that number, right? Say like 50 per month. It's not even that large of a sample size to be able to actually test it out. But you put up those blinders because you're like, this is the, the easy known that I have. So, yeah, that's a... So let's let's uh, shift a bit. We get some of the challenges that startups have had. What are they positioned to kind of handle better as just a non-funded startup? I think it's their entire customer experience. I think especially the smaller you are, the more you can play around this. And I don't see like enough startups doing this, you know? Like you have, again, the founder-led sales, like, for somebody to be able like to interact with the CEO, with the founder of a company, or sales, that's like a big thing, you know. I've heard startups that are now doing like millions, but the CEO is still like the main point of contact for customers that signed on earlier. You know, he was like, I brought you into the company, I was your I was there for you earlier. I'm still here for you now, even if we're doing millions, even if we have a customer. Uh, success team and so on, you know? So I think this, the overall customer experience that I get the building the relationships and so on. And I also think that they can move faster, like in a lot of, uh, in a lot of ways compared to bigger for enterprise companies, you know? And to give you an example of this, I think AI is like the easiest example since it's everywhere now. Like if a small company, if you know that you're solving a specific problem for a specific niche, like you can bring in AI to do something like double, let's say the outcome that people are getting to your product, you're going to be like, well, of course, I'm going to do it. You know, it's going to help me with acquisition because I can deliver more. It will help me with sure because if only they leave me, they will not get the output and so on. So you'll be, you're able to switch focus, you know, but for a bigger company, managers have to get in meetings, they have to get aligned, they have to decide what to do exactly, and then they have to put things on a roadmap that's already full, and they don't have enough space, you know? So that that's kind of tricky in uh, their situation because they cannot be, like, so quick on their feet. Right. And that speed becomes a competitive advantage, so. <clears throat> uh, okay, so let's take the Y Combinator. Right. One of the they have a bunch of requirements before they're even going to look at someone coming in. One of them is that at least one of the the founders. I always recommend multiple founders for a company, but at least one of them has experience within the industry. And I think you and I both agree that experience in whatever space you're working is probably important. But why might it be more important for 
uh, like an early stage startup who's bootstrapping? It's more important because it will help you drive the initial sales. It will help you get the initial traction, traction that you need, you know, because if I go and I want to launch, I don't know, a competitor of sneakers right now, I have no idea to that B2B sales almost my entire life. I have no idea what I have to do there, you know? If I go and I want to launch like a B2C app, I'll have an idea, but it's still being, you know, that it will still be unknown because I haven't done B2C and so on. If I go and I like to B2B SaaS and I know what I do, this is what I've been doing for the last 10 years, you know? Like I know the playbooks, I've been here, I've seen them, and like I have the connections, I know the people in the industry, you know? So like we can create the product and then, okay, I need 10 people from SaaS companies that have maximum 50 to 100 employees. I can go, I can reach out and I can be like, hey man, no, I have this product. Can you help me with some more early feedback, you know, something like that. And you can get feedback, you can get traction, you know, it's easy to get sales and so on. You see like a lot of successful founders, like that's why probably people at Meta, at Google, you know, when they move and when they create something, they already have the relationships and it's easy like for them to break the other companies and get that traction, no? Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, okay. This question comes up quite a bit for me. Uh, it's just around hiring. When do you hire the right people? Now, you have the, have had the benefit of being the first marketing hire at a couple of companies, and so you've gotten to see those companies grow and how they, they start adding hires. Uh, I guess, what considerations would you have as you're going through and growing your company? What, what are you looking at as you're approaching the hiring process? For me, I think I'm the kind of person that feels that skills can be learned. So what I look in a new hire, it's chemistry. So like for me to have chemistry mm-hmm. with the person that's sitting in front of me and that will be sitting in the same office or we're going to do the same Zoom calls, you know, uh, from now on. Because mm-hmm. that is not something that you can buy. If you don't have chemistry... And I've seen this, you know, you go to the office when we were going to the office, you know, a small office, and if you, especially in a small office, if you don't have chemistry, it's like some weird atmosphere there. You're not really that productive, you know, it's like, meh. But if you come to the office and there are like five people there that you vibe with and that you have the same energy, and you're like, yeah, we're here, come on, let's go, you know? Today's the day we do that, you know? So that's one. And also, I just remember, I think it was Dr. Huberman. I think I saw Dr. Huberman that said that there's no better motivator Mm -hmm. than intrinsic motivation. So especially early on, like you need to surround yourself with people that want to be part of that journey, that want to grow an early stage startup, you know, or a bootstrap that are not expecting Mm -hmm. like for them to have, you know, big media budget and they can do doing video campaigns and so on, you know? Right. And this is not, I mean, when I say intrinsic motivation, it's not like I want them to work 68 hours per week because that's not feasible, that's not doable, they're not productive, you know? But it's because you need people like to perform and to give their best, not just to be there, you know, I'm going to be like just sitting in this chair for the rest of the day, you know? Mm -hmm. Uh, No one will be as motivated as you as the founder. But like I think it was Jim Collins in the Good to Great book, I think it was the name, that said that you need to get the right people on the bus, you know? So, like, have chemistry, especially with the early mm-hmm. hires, 
get the right people on the bus, even if you don't have like the perfect setup yeah. for them right now, you'll figure it out later, but you'll win like early on. Right. Yeah. Finding those in the biggest thing I can recommend for everyone at this point is like, just interview one more person. Like when you think you found the person, go interview one more because I've had some hires that I thought were great. And then like it turned out, you know, a month or two later, they just didn't have that intrinsic motivation. You're talking about. It's like, they, they're good for like the meetings and like showing, show me that they, you know, looked like they were going to be great. Uh, and then we actually sit down and start getting it done. It's like, Hey, like, <laughs> you sure you want to do this? Um, and so I think just finding those people who want mastery in whatever skill they're applying to, because those are the people who are going to go out of their way to like execute and do things. So, yeah. Um, so we've talked about early stage companies. Let's talk late stage bootstrap companies, because I feel like this is something that goes like people don't talk about a lot. Like late stage bootstrap companies don't get a lot of attention uh, or they get a lot of attention, but it's in like, wow, look what someone built. Right. But not like, what are the challenges that they're facing? And so that's what I would love to get into you or get into with you. It's just like, what, what issues do, you know, these companies generally face at that point? From what I've seen, like the common struggle is around processes and documentation, because that's not fun work and that's not something that you do early on. But like mm -hmm. when you get to have the growth. Right. And when you get to be on a trajectory that's good and you get to hire new people because you need to and you're at that point, if you don't have the processes, you're going to be like in a tough spot because you need it now. You know, like, hey, we just need to onboard three people, but like we don't have a proper documentation. We don't have a proper process. There's nothing like, you know, if we wicked it until now, if we bring in three people at once, like we cannot wing them, wing it with them, you know, because that you will onboard mm -hmm. them 50%, things will be unclear, they will have no, no idea what to do, you know? They'll make right. it tough for them. So even if it's not fun work, I feel that at some point you need to start writing things down, you need to start writing some documentation, how the big things yes. work and so on, you know? Just to have it, and then you can build like later on, on top of it. Mm -hmm. There is, oh, do I have it here? Yeah, so the business playbook by Chris Ronzio is actually really good for uh, for just seeing how to start with your processes. Um, it's just recommendation for everybody, which is like super simple for creating like that playbook. So new hires have something to start from, and it's so simple. So you can like you can literally start it right now, so you don't get stuck in this position where you're like, uh, we have to do all of our processes. <laughs> um, yeah, strongly recommend that one. Um, and nobody saw me looking around on the bookshelf because of the podcast, but, um, so, okay. I want to go back to the topic of growing smart, uh, which we, we've talked about right at the start of this episode, but how do you, so like with the growth rate, it's probably the most important thing. Uh, I mean, I, I view it like just personally, right. If I focus on my growth rate and I prioritize my actual growth rate, I'm going to get better at everything. Just like it, it trickles out. Right. If I'm just focused on how, how well am I growing as, a leader as a in my fitness it's it's going to help me in other areas with the business though if you start focusing too much on your growth rate and not paying attention to other things stuff starts to fall apart and you like you miss certain things that you should have paid attention to what what are you looking at to kind of ensure that a growth rate is sustainable and you can kind of manage that 
I think one of them is like you need to pay attention to hiring. So that's one thing because like you do not want to hire, especially if you're bootstrap, you know, like if you're VC, you're like, okay, we're going to project this growth. So we're going to hire 20, 30, 50 people to handle the volume on acquisition and customer support on whatever we need. You know, like if you're bootstrap, you do not have that luxury. Mm-hmm. And like, even if you project a growth, like I always try to play it safe. So like, hey, I think that we're going to need three customer support people in the next year. Great. Let's hire one and let's see how it goes. You know, mm-hmm. because especially when you're hiring like the first person in a department, like you don't know what they need. You know, though you don't know how you can help them as a founder, you know, for them to have success in their position and so on. So like you have to learn also. So like let's get somebody on board. I've also seen like great success with the now with the remote work, everybody's working remote. I've seen great success with freelancers. So they're like, hey, we need somebody. You can tackle the problem early on. So like I have a lot of customer support emails, you know, or I need help with paid media because I want to do paid media. I'm going to get a freelancer that's going to help me like one hour, two hours, four hours a day. I'm mm-hmm. going to learn what they need and how things are going. Maybe I can document some of the processes, you know, around it. And then yeah. like I can scale it up. I need more, I can scale it up. And if at some point you can get that person like to join full-time, that's ideal because they already know the business and so on, you know. Mm-hmm. And then you're going to know for the second person, for the third person, you're going to know. So... Okay. Uh, I think that is it. I think there was one more, but I forgot what I wanted to say. <laughs> no, that's cool. Because uh, this next question is something that uh, I, I feel like I've been nerding out over thinking about this. And so hopefully you're doing the same. Uh, just with the advancement of AI, right? What's the future of bootstrapping look like? I think it, there are good parts and bad parts. So I think that it's going to open like a lot of doors for a lot of people. And like, there's the possibility where in three to five years, let's say we have this new wave of medium to big companies, you know, that have started now and that they were able mm-hmm. to grow. Uh, and, and I think that it will help AI existing companies, like it will be able like to improve outcomes to improve productivity, you know, and to generate more like with the same as I've been nerding around AI for the last week or so or so. Yeah. And I can tell you like just for like creating content and things that are around content because I feel that right now that's like the main use piece for AI. Like I think you can save like 50, 60% of the time you need like to create one article. And I'm not talking about like just throwing something out, but like one mm-hmm. high quality article, editing and so on. Right. Not to mention the programmatic SEO where you can go and you can just do stuff, you know? Uh, but to go back to the AI, I think that's the good part, you know, where it will be able to improve outcomes, you know, it will improve productivity. It will help like solo founders do more, like even like new apps like Superhuman or Hey that are helping you with your inbox to make it more clear, you know, to help you stay focused and so on. But on the other hand, that which is the bad part from my point of view, I see that it will open like the floodgates of mediocrity, you know, 
Like a mm-hmm. lot of people will just go to ChatGPT and will say, I want an article about this. It will be a prompt that's 10 words. They will get the article. They will put it on the ops- website and that's it, you know? Right. And that also kind of opens like an opportunity because if, you're, if you can put out great content, it's going to be easy to be different, you know? People will right. notice you. So we'll see how it goes. Yeah. <laughs> right. So I think... One of the, the key benefits of marketing, right? You, especially today, like someone can go out and they can find information anywhere and it's going to be generally the same stuff. Uh, and that's what AI is going to be doing. It's going to be creating more of the same stuff. And so I think what people are looking for are those insights that only you as the expert in that space can bring. And so if you can figure out how to use AI, but also add your insights layered on top of that, I mean, you're, you're golden. Like you're now you're going way beyond what the competition's doing. Yeah. Um, and I, can, I also like, this is something that I've seen in the past, like in bigger companies, like where you go in and you'll, you see that they have Google Analytics or they're using Mixpad or they're using whatever and they have the data. But like, if you're looking at what they're doing, you know, it has nothing to do with the data. But like, mm-hmm. you have the data in there, you know? Right. Like the data is saying that 50% of your uh, people, like, they sign up and they don't get to do anything. Like, why don't you work yeah. there? I mean, why do you have on the roadmap products, the features mm-hmm. that have nothing to do with that, you know? By so getting insights out of data, that's already, like, a challenging uh, situation, right. you know? It's challenging, I think. Yeah, agreed. All right, Andre, this has been a great conversation. I want to go into uh, my three closing questions with you. Uh, with the first one being, what book? Do you think everyone should read? Uh, that's a that's a tough one. Um, in my in my twenties, like I read like a lot of business books and a lot of self development books and so on. And I think they're great because they're teaching you like the principles. And mm-hmm. but at some point, like you'll see like the same principle, just that, that it was applied differently because the founder was in a different situation, you know, and so on. Now, for example, uh, I'm big on books that help me discover, that help me learn about myself, you know? Uh, and here, like, I'm talking about books like The Five Languages or The the Power of That, for example, you know? And these can be helpful for a founder because, like, you can learn the business basics, but at the same time, for example, The Five Love Languages will help you learn what makes you tick, you know? So right. like if you know what makes you tick, you'll know how to approach things with others. And at the same time, if right. you learn that, you will look at that at other people, you know? So like, hey, I know from the book, these are the five things. I know that for this person, you know, I have to say nice things about her and I have to uh, praise mm-hmm. her every time she does a good job and so on, you know? Which that will make her tick. So I feel that helps you both professionally and personally, and like giving you like making your life easier and better. And then like that in return will give you like the energy you need when you wake up in the morning at seven, eight, you know, yeah. to start working. Cheers. Uh, next one. What is next for you professionally? Uh, I'm not sure right now. So right now I'm doing with my family, enjoying the last month of summer. I'm working like with a couple of clients, you know, consulting. So I ke- I'm keeping myself busy. 
but uh, we'll see. I like being in the trenches again, like with the early stage startups and putting in the work. Yeah. Uh, we'll see what happens in the next month and how things will evolve. Awesome. I'm looking forward to see what happens. Uh, where can people find you? It's easy. LinkedIn. And that's it. No fancy website or anything else. All right. Well, again, thank you for, uh, for joining me. It's been awesome. Thank you, Chris, for the discussion. It's been fun. If you enjoyed today's episode, I would love a rating and review on your favorite podcast player. And for more information on how to build effective and efficient teams through your leadership, visit leadingforeffect.com. As always, deserve it.